Amen. Those last two songs um, I think we'll do again next week, but uh, that last one, Come to the Altar, is such a powerful song because nowadays we don't think of altars that often anymore. Even in churches, it's, you know, if, if you have not accepted Christ or or if, if you, you know, have a, a, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you in this message, or why don't you just raise your hand and deal with it there and everything else. But, but, you know, Jesus set up an altar system for a reason. He set up an altar system where we go and we lay down. All right, now, in the New Testament, praise God, we don't have to go and sacrifice. Because there was one sacrifice sacrificed for all. Jesus Christ came and shed his blood on the cross to be the ultimate sacrifice for us. But it doesn't mean that we no longer go to the altar. See, we go to the altar because Jesus wants us to come to him. Our sacrifice is different now. He sacrificed blood once and for all. But when we accept him into our heart, we have a sacrifice of our all of who we are. That's why we, as people, we go to the altar and we lay our lives down for, for him as he did us. So today we're, we're on this second part, and I don't know if it'll go to a third part or not. Uh, I kind of have a feeling it will, but we're talking about revival and how revival will ultimately bring on unity. What is revival? You know, you hear, you hear that word a lot. You hear that word now. I, I don't know, you know what circles you, you pay attention to or what circles you're in or anything, but, but I hear that word all the time. When I'm listening to preachers preach, I'm hearing the word revival. I'm seeing it on, on Facebook. I'm seeing it in, in, you know, on different TV programs that there is a great revival coming in, and where they get that is the Word of God says that we are going to see a revival like the world has never seen. But what is revival? And this isn't necessarily what I'm talking on today. It's just what God laid on my heart right now. See, revival is something you've not seen before. We've perhaps seen pockets of it. And, and I, I would dare say that all of us in this room here perhaps have never experienced real revival. You've, you've perhaps experienced personal revival. But see, that's different than what's coming. What's coming is a movement of God. What's coming, as I said before, was something that the world has never seen before, even back to the Church of Acts. See, that's extraordinary. When you think of the number, the sheer numbers of people that will be turning to the Lord, it's almost hard to comprehend. But see, there's a reason for that. And that's because revival, real revival, is the only thing that is going to unify the body of Christ. See, God 
sent his son to become a man to live a perfect life, die on the cross for our sins, raised from the grave, and now sits as a man, and 100% God sits at the right hand of the Father. But see, he has a bride. He has a bride, which is you and me. If we have accepted Jesus Christ into our hearts as Savior, we become his bride. We're called the bride of Christ. We are the church. This church began in Acts chapter 2, and it continues to today. This bride of Jesus Christ. See, there's a point, the Bible says, where he's going to come and get his bride. He's going to come and claim his bride. This is before his second coming. This is when he sees that his bride is ready. And that's part of what we talked about last week, and I want to go over just... Just a couple of verses on that, because it's important, especially if you didn't get it last week, I I would suggest you go back on the podcast and listen, listen to it, but there are two references that I want to point out, and you don't need to turn there, I'm just going to reference them. In Revelation chapter 7... I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. This is the letter to the church of Philadelphia. And Jesus Christ is given these letters. And he he said, these are Jesus Christ's words. You know, and he's saying on here that he's going to come back. But there are two things here I want you to understand. that, That when they hit me, they hit me like a ton of bricks. One of them I knew. But the other one, I, until the Lord laid it on my heart, I had not really understood what it meant. And I'll, I'll say the second one first. In verse 10 it says, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, talking about the bride of Christ, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. So in other words, the church, the body of Christ, his children, we will not see the tribulation coming Talking about that seven-year period, okay, where, where the world is judged for the sake of Israel. We will not see that. The church will be taken out before that. But the thing that I didn't realize, and this is, this is just really opening up so many things in my, in my heart and in my mind, is verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews or not, but lie. In other words, those who say they believe in a God, but they don't. They lie. They say it for their own gain. Here's the kicker. And remember, this is before verse 10. This is going to happen before the church, the bride of Christ, is taken out. He said, Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, talking about the bride of Christ, And they will learn that I have loved you. I don't know about you, but that's huge. We talked about it last week. That's huge. See, all these people that predict this doom and gloom for the country and for the world, which I used to be a part of, that that was my outlook. Things are just going to get so bad to where God finally comes. (laughs) It's getting so bad down there that... I better just go get my bride because it can't get any worse. That's, that's how I used to think. And that's how 
I'm going to say at least the circles that I used to be in up until just a couple months ago, that's how most people think. Because so much of that is, is talked about in the Word of God, and we look at our surroundings, we look at the political mess, we took, look, at, look at school systems, we look at you know, all these things coming down you know, that are happening now that go against our principles, and we think, how could it possibly get any better? The world tends toward decay. Entropy says everything gets worse. It doesn't get better. But see, there's a problem with that. Because the bride is not ready through failure. We, we would have to cut this verse out, cut verse 9 out, to make that the case. Because he says, your enemies, the synagogue of Satan, those who do not follow Jesus Christ, they will bow down at your feet. Now, what that's talking about there is twofold. It's, it's not that, like some kingly thing, they bow at your feet. No, you know, it's not like that. It is a recognition of authority. And that's the key to it. This is a recognition of authority in the body of Christ. Here on this earth. Not in the heavenly realm, but here on this earth. There will be a recognition of the body of Christ by those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. That's what that verse is saying. See, that to me is huge because we're nowhere near that right now. So how in the world do we get to the point, how does God bring us to the point of the synagogue of Satan recognizing our authority in Jesus Christ without revival. See, revival is the very thing that brings that about. What is revival? Revival is people turning to Jesus Christ. People recognizing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and as the, as the Son of God projected himself into creation, his own creation, became a man, lived a perfect sinless life, and offered that life on the cross. But then through the power of the Holy Spirit, God raised him from the dead. See, revival is people beginning to realize that, beginning to, to see that Jesus Christ is God. You can imagine if you took a hundred thousand people and say a thousand of them knew Jesus Christ and they were on fire and revival began to hit there. Okay, those 99,000 don't care for Christ. They're part of the synagogue of Satan that do not believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But as revival hits, those thousand that have relationships with other people, they begin to allow God to work through them. So those other people, they begin to see, wow, there's something different there. And when they allow the Holy Spirit to work through them, in extraordinary ways, God works through them to reach other people. 
Now what is typically a slow process, or has been my lifetime, changes overnight in revival. See, revival is not something that man can manufacture. Revival is not something we can decide, okay, August 15th, we're going to start revival. It doesn't work that way. Why? Because revival, it's not about us. It's about what Jesus Christ decides to do through his Holy Spirit. We know that there is a move of God coming that sparks that revival. Revival looks like this. It's not about that you just have to be in church, you have to be there so you can experience. See, that's not what revival is. And that's what a lot of people think it is. A lot of th people think revival is breaking out because there's joy within the church. That's not it. Revival is when the church gets so excited they have to bring someone with them. Or they have to take Jesus Christ to those people. See, revival is Jesus Christ. Revival isn't the church building. Revival isn't that we get together and we sing great songs and we all feel good about what's going on. And I'm not saying that's bad. That's good. But it's not revival. See, revival is when you go home and you think, who can I tell about Jesus Christ? Lord, place somebody in my path that I could tell about Jesus Christ. They need to become part of this family. The other verse I want to just bring up from last week is Ephesians 4 and Basically what that says, let me see if I have it here, if my iPad will do something for me. Here it is. Okay, we read it last week where it talks about, uh, in, in verse 11, the gifts that God gives the church, the body of Christ. He, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. That's the fivefold ministry. Why did he give it? To equip, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And we all read that, and that's, that's awesome. He gives us great gifts to draw closer to him, but then we usually don't read on. And last week we pointed out the next word was critical. Verse 13, until. See, there's a time stamp on this. He's going to give these gifts. He's going to operate in the body of Christ. He is going to operate in the church until we all attain to the unity of faith. So those two things I want you to understand from last week. There's revival coming where the world will recognize the authority of Jesus Christ. This is before he takes the church home. This isn't the thousand-year reign when Christ actually comes down and physically reigns on this earth. This is before that. Because this is before the rapture. This is before he takes his body home. The synagogue of Satan will recognize the authority of the church. Wow, we're really far from that, aren't we? 
But not when you consider revival. Not when you look at the history of revival and what it's done. Just look at the book of Acts. Peter's first time he preached, filled with the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people get saved. Well, he must be an awesome preacher. No, you could read it. It was the Holy Spirit. Because what the Holy Spirit was doing was revival. He was showing them his power. He showed his power through signs and wonders. But you know what? The signs and the wonders, that wasn't the power. The power was in the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. That was the power. Those people, through the power of the Holy Spirit, began to recognize they needed Jesus Christ. See, revival is extraordinary. That's why we're supposed to pray for it. We know the biggest revival is coming. We know we're near it. So do we pray for it? Do we pray for it to come? Because that revival is going to bring on unity. Unity in the body of Christ that then brings on him carrying his bride home. So you find yourself on, in this life, but you want to be with Jesus Christ, right? We need to work toward revival. We need to pray for revival. We need to have expectation of revival. And as I talked about last week, remember unity in the body is unity within the whole body. Not just unity within our church. You know, we could be unified here, but you know what? All those churches around us, they, well, they could be unified in and of themselves, and we'll just all have all these unified pockets. <laughs> and I can imagine Jesus just sitting there going, okay, you don't get unity. See, Jesus is not Mormon. He doesn't have multiple brides. <laughs> okay? Jesus has one bride. The bride of Christ is one bride. We as the body of Christ are one bride. And he expects unity in that bride. So last week I talked about this unity comes from stepping across the aisles and working together. By the way, I, I, I want to make sure you understand what I mean by that. As Alexis said last week, this isn't about the coexist. This isn't about, well, we need to get along with other religions. You have to understand, if they do not believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, they are dead wrong. We are not unifying with that. That's not what unity in the body of Christ is. Unity in the body of Christ is uni unity around Him, around Jesus Christ, around recognizing that He is the Son of God. What I'm talking about in this unity, if, if you were to look at all the churches in this area that believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that salvation through Him given by grace is the only way to heaven, if you take those churches, and look at the differences in those churches. That's more of what I'm talking about. Let me give you an example. I've been saved now almost 43 years. 
Okay? Forty of those I spent as a cessationist, someone who does not believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The last three years, and you all know that testimony, that's changed in my life. See, I can choose to unify or not unify. I can choose because in, in my study and what I see and in my recognition of my relationship with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, I can say that my past and all those who believe that way are dead wrong. They don't understand. They're hurting themselves. They're hurting others. So I am just not going to work with them. I'm not going to perpetuate the way they look at things because I need people to believe the way I look at things. I could choose to do that. But that's the opposite of unity. It doesn't mean by working with somebody who's a cessationist means that I have changed my beliefs. See, I can work, and, and forgive me, we probably have family on watching us online that, that are cessationists. But bottom line is, we can work together. They don't have to believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit for them to work with me or for me to work with them. We have to unify. It also doesn't mean that I compromise my beliefs. It also doesn't mean that I compromise what I believe the Lord wants to do through me and through this church. See, that's not unity either, that we all come up with a list of things that we believe. Okay, here, here's the top 25 things that we're just all going to have to believe, so that way we could be unified. It doesn't work that way either. 1 Corinthians 12 says in the body there are many members. You ever think that perhaps there are some who do not believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and God allows them to not recognize that simply because they'll reach some people we can't? By the way, that just came into my brain. Okay, so I want you to understand God makes us different. God makes us in 1 Corinthians 12 all different. Now there are, there are principles and there, there are belief systems you know, that, that we don't compromise on and that we can't compromise on. So I, I, I want to make it really clear that I'm not talking about compromising what you believe. I'm talking about unification of the body of Christ. I'm not talking about doctrine. Because there are doctrines that we believe that I believed when I was a kid, I, I don't believe now. You know, because the Lord showed me something different, or perhaps that I didn't believe that I believe now. Okay, so I, I want to make sure that part's clear, and I, I know that's still from last week, but I want, I want to make sure that's really clear to everybody. In working together, in reaching out, if all we did was not fight, <laughs> that would bring unity. See, in reality, we're, we're not even trying to work together, it's just the opposite, we fight each other. You know, that was the biggest thing that blew my mind 
when, when the Lord said, I want you to start a church and, and all this and, and, you know, you know that whole story. As I started to meet with pastors around here, and, I, and I've known pastors here in this area for years and years, 25 years. And even up till recently, do you know, I have not met, I don't want to say I've not met one. Because I'd have to really think about that. But I've met very few that are willing to even work together. Do you know how many churches that I've reached out to to go on a prayer walk together? And, and by the way, it's not about inviting them on our Ignition prayer walk. I don't care. We, call it, we do it through their church. It doesn't matter. We're the body of Christ. Until we can learn to work together, we're not going to have unity. And until we get unity, we're not going to be ready as the bride. So I feel like that is one of the things that is the, at the core of Ignition's calling, is draw the body of Christ together. And by the way, it's the same way all over the world. Mexico is, is worse than here. Because there it's all about who you could get in your church because that's how you get the money. And, and I'm not saying, I mean, that's probably the same here a lot too. But we can't be that way. If we want revival, we've got to work together. We've got to have the focus, what the focus should be, and that's Jesus Christ. So, again, it's not compromising our principles. It is working with those who have the same core belief. Okay? I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And... We're going to start at verse 14. So what does it mean to have unity? What does it mean? It has to begin with us. If we want this revival coming, it has to begin with us. We can't change everybody else, but we can change us. It's got to begin with us. Ephesians 3, verses 14, and we're going to read through 21, says this. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you the strengthened, grant, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Then he tells us why. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Then he gives a declaration now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. According to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. I want to point something out here. If we go back to verse 16, it talks about, he said that he may grant you to be strengthened with power. This is a very special power. 
Okay, he is talking about the very power of God. He is talking about the Holy Spirit that indwells in you. What he's saying here is he wants you to be strengthened by that Holy Spirit. Now, is that something that happens automatically when we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts? No. See, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, When we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts, He is a seal upon our spirit. He is a seal on our heart. When we do that, the Holy Spirit comes in, seals our spirit, so that it cannot be taken by anyone else. It cannot be taken by the enemy. No matter how hard the enemy may try. The enemy may may be able to go after our body, go after our mind, but he will never have our spirit. Why? Because the spirit is eternal. The spirit is what does not change. Your spirit is going one place or the other. Period. Your spirit is destined for heaven or for hell, and it is based on who controls your spirit. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you are then sealed by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, where there is light, there cannot be darkness. So that's different than the Holy Spirit beginning to operate in power in our lives. Verse 16 again, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. John 20 says it's that gift. It's that gift that we're given when we accept Jesus Christ. It's not just the sealing of the Holy Spirit, but he says wait for it, expect it, Pray for it, and what's going to happen is he's going to come in power. See, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and he was, he was on earth with his disciples, seen by 500 disciples over the course of 40 days, when he was about to leave, he said, you want me to go. Believe me, you want me to go. Why? Because I'm just one person. In, in that shell of a human body, he was one person. He said, when I leave and I go sit at the right hand of the Father, the Father will send the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to where each of us can gain access to the same portion as everybody else. Do you understand? I cannot access the Holy Spirit any more than you can. He offers us the same portion. It's a complete portion. So why do we look at some Christians and and they have this power of the Holy Spirit and some do not? Perhaps it's because they realize they don't realize that they have that accessible to them. So you have this power that is accessible to you. And it's, it's not a power that, you know, now I can show off, now I can be cool, now people can think I'm something. Because that's not the character of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reigns in power when we let him work. What does it do? It brings on revival. 
where the Spirit is present, darkness cannot be present. It's a simple fact. Where there is light, there cannot be darkness. You want revival, increase the light. You've got to let Him operate through you at a greater level. And more of us. See, that is what brings on revival. That's what's going to bring on this final revival. This one's special. This one that's coming, the world has never seen before. That's what Jesus talked about in the latter days. He talked in John about, and, and we've, we've talked about this before, how he said, in the latter days, you will do more than even I do on this earth in terms of signs and wonders. Miracles. Why? Why? Because Jesus Christ is readying his bride. Jesus Christ is preparing us and drawing us into unity. We cannot unify in and of ourselves. We can only unify through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we allow the Holy Spirit to work with us, and we've seen it in this church. We've seen it in... in in this, this small group here, we have seen that when we let the Holy Spirit work in our lives, we unify. I was so blessed yesterday to see on Facebook all the people that went to Casey's run. And she had like 14 of them. And I, I think at least half of them were from our church, right? See, they didn't have to do that. They didn't have to, go, you know, take a nice day, go out and jog. It's not everybody's idea of fun, right? They didn't have to do that. Why'd they do it? Because they're family. Because Casey's family. Because it was important to Casey. Why do people engage with different things? It's because we become important to each other. And, and the church, over time, has gotten good at that within the little pockets. But do you see, we have to get good at that with the body of Christ as a whole. We have to get good at that with the church down the road. We can't care whether they have more people than we do. We can't care if the program has their name on it or our name on it. I told you last week, I, I don't care if somebody gets saved and, and, and it's because of some, something that they're doing. I want to be a part of it. And I want them to go to their church and be discipled. Because, see, we have, to, we have to start changing our thinking. If we want this Newark area to be little, literally turned upside down for Jesus Christ, it is not going to happen through one church. It's going to happen through one body. The body of Jesus Christ, the church. The overall body. We've got to start working together. So again, he begins with telling us, look, you don't have to do this on your own. I'm going to give you power through the Holy Spirit if you just open your eyes and take it. 
I'm going to blow you away if you just open your eyes and see that I'm trying to do it. See what I'm offering you. God is saying, He has a goal for that, though. In verse 17, it tells us why. He said that, so that He wants the Holy Spirit in us to work in power, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And when that's accomplished, when you're grounded and rooted in love, we may have strength, verse 18, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Now you may read that and think, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't understand that. Basically what he's saying there is when you are rooted and grounded in love, when you start to take on the eyes of Jesus Christ, seeing people as he sees people, you're going to understand the real reality. You're going to understand what's going on around you that is real. See, because what we see is limited. What we see even going on around us right now, it's limited to what we see in this room. We don't see the spirit world. We don't see the warfare going on. We don't see... When somebody gets saved, we don't see heaven cheering. We don't see that party going on. But we know about it because of the Word of God. We know about warfare going on because of the Word of God. We don't see it. But you know what's interesting? Is we, when we become rooted and grounded in love, and we are following Jesus Christ, allowing Him through the power of the Holy Spirit to work through us, we begin to understand. We begin to understand what's going on around us, even if we don't see. Even if we don't see what's going on out there when we're witnessing to somebody, or we're on a prayer walk, and we're walking up to somebody that, you know, Lord says, go, go pray with them. We walk up to somebody and we talk to them. We may not see the warfare going on around us. We may not see that the Holy Spirit has already prepared their hearts. But we can comprehend it. That's what he says. If we're rooted and grounded in love, the love of Jesus Christ, we can begin to comprehend what's going on. And see, he needs us to. He needs us to understand what's going on because we're warriors. That's what he's developing us into. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. The body of Christ is supposed to have authority. Why? Because it's the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ is powered through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has authority. The Holy Spirit is God. God manifests Himself through man by the Holy Spirit. And it's when we do that, when we root and ground ourselves in love, that we can begin to understand these things. And I can tell you in 43 years of being saved, I didn't start getting that until three years ago. And not for lack of study. Not for lack of loving God. 
I, I don't even know why, at the point that I did, I began to ask God for more intimacy. Began to ask God that there's certainly more to a relationship. There's certainly more to this intimacy than what I have right now. Because, see, I had a bunch of knowledge. I knew the Word of God. I taught the Word of God. I had all this knowledge. But I didn't have the intimacy. And it wasn't that I didn't have the love. I loved God. That was there. What I didn't have, though, was love for people. See, when we allow ourselves to become rooted and grounded in love, it's not only love for God. That was only part of what he said to do. He said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. But the second part of that is the hardest. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. By the way, love the people that are hard to love. Sometimes people are really difficult to love. Strangers. I, I don't know about you. I, you may think that I'm an extrovert. And, and in some ways I suppose I am. But in many ways I'm not. Prayer walks are really hard for me. <laughs> Even though we do them and we push them and we, and we get excited about them, every time it's a challenge for me. To go up to somebody I don't know and talk to them about Jesus Christ. Or to offer to pray for them. And, and, and you may look at that and say, well, that's easy for you. No, it's not. I don't think it's easy for anybody. I, I don't think it's natural. <laughs> Certainly not American. We're, it's not American to reach out in love, right? You reach out to the people that you feel comfortable reaching out to. But see, that's not what he says. Become rooted and grounded in love means to fall in love with people. Fall in love with everybody. And it wasn't until I began to get that, because I was praying for that. I was praying, Lord, give me more intimacy with you. I need this to be a two-way conversation. I need this to be a two-way relationship. I need more of you, God. And he just sat there and said, okay. I need you to love them. You can't just love me. I need you to love them. When we become rooted and grounded in love, he begins to do something in us that's extraordinary. And I'm telling you, I know this from personal experience. God has changed my life because of this. He has changed my joy. He has changed how I see what it said here. Verse 18. How I see the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. <coughs> see, I look at my world differently now than I did three or four years ago. I mean, I'll tell you what, I look at my world differently than I did two weeks ago. Because when you open yourself up 
to the power of the Holy Spirit to teach you, things begin to move exponentially. Even though from the outside it doesn't seem it. And we've talked a lot about what Jesus has said, what he's told us he's going to do with ignition. We've talked a lot about that. But yet you don't see that from the outside perspective. But if you did, God would not get the glory. Because see, what's about to happen is revival. And he is desperate for us to align our hearts and root them and ground them in love so that when that revival hits, he just flies with it. He just takes off with it. Do you think it possible in Newark, Delaware, to see 3,000 people get saved in one service? Well, okay, yeah, I could see that if we had a church of 20,000, sure. Yeah, what if we had a church of 50? Could you see that? He's going to do that. See, he's promised us a building, and this sanctuary that I was looking at, it would probably hold four to 5,000. See, that's not necessary for 50 people. But what he is doing, he is doing not just in us, but he is doing in all those people that are going to come to know him. Our part is not to worry about that. It's not my responsibility to figure out how we're going to get that building, or how we're going to pay for that building, or how we're going to get all those people See, he doesn't say to do that. He says, become rooted and grounded in love, and then you'll see what I'm doing. See, Jesus is already doing amazing things, preparing for this revival, and we don't see it. We can't see it until we become rooted and grounded in love. As we become rooted and grounded in love, he begins to open our eyes to what's going on. And then you get excited. I am excited for what Jesus is about to do. And by the way, I, I want this on tape. I want the world to hear this because it's not happened yet. But we're not talking months from now. We're talking weeks from now. Weeks from now, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to show himself so strong. We need to see the height, the width, the breadth. We need to see what he's doing. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to open up our spiritual eyes so we can see what's coming. He needs us to be ready. Why? Because as those people that are being prepared to accept Him come and they accept Him, it isn't over right there. See, there is discipleship. There is pouring in. There is warfare still. And if there's one thing Ignition is called to, 
It's warfare. We are made to be warriors. And, and by the way, I, the more, I, the more I, I just pray and the more I study this and the more I... I don't know... I don't believe all churches are made that way. I'm not saying we're the only one. Please don't get me wrong. But in the body, there are many members. There are different types. And ignition is being made from the very beginning. We were made to be warriors. That is our portion in the body. Because there are other body members that cannot fight for themselves. But we're being trained up to fight. So we better be rooted and grounded in love. Because, first of all, that's our only weapon. That's the strongest weapon. If our strategy is not love, then the enemy can combat us. But see, he cannot combat us when our strategy is love. Why? Because he doesn't understand love. He doesn't know how to fight love. That was the very reason he could not fight Jesus Christ's victory from raising from the grave. Because it was rooted and grounded in love. He loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave. He loved us and then he gave. He needs us rooted and grounded in love so that we can be the warriors that we need to be, not just for ourselves, but for all the churches around here. And for all the, the body of Christ in those seven places that we have been called in this world. Rest assured, we have been called to be warriors. And this is about to happen. I know it in my spirit. I know it. We're close to this breaking out in revival. And not, not just happy joy time, but where we see the hand of God move in ways we've never seen it before. Where we see people saved because they're so overwhelmed by the love of Christ that they can't do anything else. They're just in love with Him. Why? Because they see how much we're in love with Him. See, that's a real warrior. A real warrior is a warrior out of love. And I, I'm, I'm going to, this will go three weeks, because I only got to the first point. <laughs> but unity is important. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it brings on this revival that's coming. It's coming. Whew. What if it came before I got to the other points? <laughs> Praise God. What if it happened this week? You know, I'm going to say one other thing too, and I'm going to close in this. And, and I'm going to go out, out on a limb in saying this. We've been praying for a young man, Carson. I, I've been going up there about twice a week. I'll be up there on Monday, tomorrow. And then uh, I might go up two or three times this week, but he's at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. And it's a young man for five years that, that has had a disease, a debilitating disease that has threatened to take his life. He's been in and out of the hospital. 
about two weeks ago, he went into the hospital, and we've been praying for him. I mean, for the last few years, we've been praying for him. But when he went in a couple of weeks ago, it's gotten dire. It's gotten life and death. He's the weakest that I've ever seen him. He can't really talk above a whisper. He, he, he has literally no weight on him. He has internal bleeding. He's, he's bleeding constantly through his colon. And he can't absorb nutrients. And what worked before were steroids that would allow him to start taking on nutrients and gaining weight. And now for the first time in five years... His body's rejected those. There's nothing working. Nothing. But yet on the flip side of that, the Holy Spirit has told me and told many others that he's going to be perfectly healed. Tuesday night we were told again in prayer that he is going to be perfectly healed. When we were praying for Carson Tuesday night, Lord gave me a vision that I believe was from him. See, I don't think Carson's going to leave that hospital without being perfectly healed. And the vision that I had was that it was going to affect everybody on that floor. And this is why I want this on tape, because I haven't told it in public yet. I've told a few within different groups. That whole floor is going to be healed. 24 rooms. Some are private rooms, some are not. So you figure 30, 35 kids. And they're all kids. This children's hospital. But they're all going to be healed. Can you imagine what that's going to do? Can you imagine... What that is going to, news that will make on a national scale? Well, how about this? See, the enemy's territorial. When you knock him as warriors, our job is we will be facing the enemy to take territory from the enemy. That's what we're doing up there. Why do you think I go up there a couple times a week? It's, it's not just to talk to him, not just to encourage him and his family, which that's part of it. But it's because as warriors, we take territory. That's what Jesus wants us to do. That's what Israel did when they crossed the Jordan and went into the promised land. It was what Jesus had promised them that the enemy had kept from them. See, I believe God has declared of that wing, that fifth floor, is his. And when he takes that, he's not going to give it up. Just as I've told you before about the 60, or maybe I haven't, I I can't remember, of the 60 mile diameter around Newark. See, when he sets that up, 
and he cleanses that area. He takes that territory from the enemy. He's not going to give it back. Through us, we go to war against the enemy to hold the territory. See, now, I'm not saying this is prophetic, but I'll tell you what I believe. I believe when he takes that fifth floor of that wing of Children's Hospital, those 24 rooms, and he holds that territory, I believe that healing will be ongoing. I believe that even those doctors, because it's going to come to a point where we don't know how to deal with this person. We don't know what's going on. We don't, well, okay, get, get them up to the fifth floor. <laughs> we don't know why, but when they go up there, they just get healed. That may sound crazy to some of you, but that's okay. That's okay. Because we serve a healing God. We serve a God who wants revival to come. That revival will bring unity. That unity will prepare the bride. And then, Jesus Christ can come and take his bride. See, this is all for us to be with him. If God loved us so much that he would send his only son to die for us, do you think he'd leave it there? No. He's going to fulfill that. He is going to finalize that to where we can be with him for eternity. I don't know about you, but I'm ready. Me too. Amen. I am not willing to put anything in front of my own life that would deter that. Which includes boxing in my belief system. Believing that, well, no, God, God doesn't heal like that. Maybe in Africa, maybe if we move the fifth floor to Africa. You know, I hear people there get raised from the dead. But that, that's, that's a whole different soil. It's a different continent. It works over there. It doesn't work here. Baloney. Holy Spirit's same over there as he is here. And you can believe those stories or not. Honestly, it doesn't matter. I love you. You can believe I'm crazy. It doesn't matter. I love you. But you're going to see it happen. You're going to see it happen because God's going to do it. Not us. We just got to stay out of his way. We just got to be rooted and grounded in love and let him do the rest. Because when we're that, he begins to open our eyes. He begins to show us the possibilities. He begins to show us that we can be in that building over in Newark and see 3,000 people saved in one day. He begins to show us these things. Not because of how great we are, how great he is. He's just looking for willing vessels. Just people that would say yes. Just yes. He really doesn't require a lot. Just yes. Just trust me. Just follow me. 
Trust what I do. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of being laughed at. Don't be afraid of being scoffed. And I, and I know that's hard. I, I get that. But don't be afraid of it, because if you're afraid of it, you're never going to be part of the supernatural. You're never going to be a part of the blessing of what God does that's extraordinary. We cannot limit him because we're coming to a point in history where it's going to happen, with us or without us. But we have an opportunity to be the tip of the spear. Let's bow our heads.